Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, Vertonians, and welcome to this week's edition of the Tuffy Web Podcast, our weekly discussion of all things blue from the web's longest-running Everton website. Following last weekend's goalless draw with Fulham, Everton have just three games left between now and the beginning of the hiatus for the World Cup, Saturday's clash with Leicester under the Goodison Lights, and then two trips to Bournemouth, one in the Carabao Cup and one in the league. We'll look back at the game at Craven Cottage that had its share of incidents, even if there were no goals, and then we'll look ahead to the visit of the improving Foxes, while this week's question involves Europe and a fairly depressing milestone that the Blues passed this week. Uh, Paul Trail's back after having to sit out last week's podcast. How are things with you, mate? Yeah, fine, thank you. Yeah, all good. Um, had the in-laws over last week, so out and about and uh, doing stuff. So, uh, yeah, it was good to listen to you guys <laughs> and sit back and listen instead, actually. Um, I was quite happy at Fulham, personally. Um could understand a bit of frustration that we didn't create a lot in the second half and anything actually really in the second half. Um, but it's one of them points that we used to sort of get on the Moyes quite a lot. And it was kind of like a given we get quite a lot of these, keep it tight, you know, don't concede or, you know, and you come away with the draw and, and they, they total up, don't they? We've had a few of them now. And as everyone keeps saying, we, 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 we weren't getting them last season, but it's very true. Um, just defensive, defensively solid, organised, and I was just quite happy. We need to be more clinical, obviously, in that final third. Uh, Dominic had that great chance, didn't he, in the first half? There's a few other chances first half. Need more from our wingers, but I just kind of feel for the financial output we've 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 spent on on our wingers. It's hard to ask for more than what we're getting sometimes. And just generally speaking, I'm I'm happy with that point. I think it's I think it's a good point on the road and. Uh, yeah, tears up nicely. Mitrovic should have gone, would you all say? I thought that was a red card. What did everyone think? Uh, I think we are, we'll, we'll get into that, I think. <laughs> we'll get into that. But uh, yeah, Andy okay. Howard's here again. Uh, how's life been treating you, Andy, since we last spoke? Not too bad, thank you. Yeah, um, had a few days to digest that Fulham game. Um, and for, for a kind of nil-nil on the road, it, it had plenty in there, didn't it, really? Um, and I think what Paul said is absolutely right. I I think it's all about context. We, we were kind of, we all looked at it through the kind of prism of that Crystal Palace game and how good we were and how kind of the perfect day at Goodison. And then you kind of go to the next one thinking that it's all going to look like that. And of course it's not going to. Um, but I do think that is what progress looks like at the moment. Um it, roll out the cliche early on, let's get it out of the way. We would have lost that last year. Um, but I also yeah. think we probably would have lost at Brentford last year. We would have lost at Leeds last year. We may have lost the Derby last year. It just it, just weighing up each of those draws. And I always think a draw, strange saying this, because I, I, I think 
you maybe think of Burnley last season who had an awful lot of draws and went down. But usually, I think a draw is quite a good gauge of a side um, that you can pick up plenty of those points where teams aren't good enough to beat you. And over the course of a season, they make a huge difference. Um, So I thought it was a point gained by the end, especially how the game panned out. Um, And I was frustrated watching it it felt a little bit like, especially the second half, felt a little bit like Newcastle in in some ways um, that you never really could see us getting anywhere. But I think um, I think if you weigh up the performance and the outcome, I think it's a point gained. And I I, I think two clean sheets on the trot in the Premier League um, is not to be sniffed at at all. So for me, that's what that's where we are. And I know there'll be fans. That, I know be fans up and down, you know, the country listening to that saying, yeah, but Everton should be better. We should be going to Fulham and winning. We, you know, as a club, we should be better. I get all that. But at the moment, um, that is what progress looks like, unfortunately. And if we dig those out, if we dig 10 of those out this season, we will not be involved in the relegation scrap. Simple as that. Um, And um, yeah, it, it was just a shame it came maybe straight after such a, 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 a perfect performance and it kind of skews it a little bit but if it's, if someone had said you know before the Palace game considering we'd had three results like we did on the trot we, we lost them all yeah if someone had said okay you're going to get a 3-0 and a 0-0 I think we would have gone thank you very much we're running all the way to the bank yeah I, I'm, I'm exactly in line with you two I was going to say that just look, just judging by the mood on, on social media and listening to some of the discussions on, on various other podcasts, the, um, this game does seem to have divided opinion exactly how you said, uh, between those who felt it was a really good point to pick up on the road <clears throat> and some who were disappointed by the overall performance, particularly in the second half and, again, especially coming on the back of that uh, performance against Palace. Um, but, yeah, it's exactly as you say, it's it's progress in that we probably would have lost that that match last last, last season. Um, it's the you have to look at it in the context of the fact that we were the first team to prevent Fulham from scoring at home, which I think is no mean feat. Um, yes, there's the issue that we haven't beaten yet again, haven't beaten um, a promoted side, but um, yeah, you have to look at it in the context of its of of an away performance, away game, and I think we made the point earlier on one of the earlier podcasts about the difference um, for a team like Brighton where Brighton finished last year was just the number of draws that they had compared to us because they only won one more game last season than we did and they finished top half. So that, you know, that is how um, a team that's not necessarily going to be competing for the European places, but one that wants to avoid relegation is, you you know, draw your away games and win as many of your home games as possible and you'll be absolutely fine. So um, from, from that perspective, I was quite happy with the result um, even if, as you say, the performance was fairly frustrating. Um, I mean, particularly when you think when you when you think of the second goal that we scored against Palace. Uh, if we had thought that this was going to be some revolution in the way that you know Everton was going to start playing out from the back and and playing through teams, I think we had a bit of a reality check. There were plenty of opportunities in the in the Fulham game where James Tarkovsky in particular would find himself with the ball and he'd be standing there almost stationary for about five to 10 seconds with the ball at his feet. And there's nowhere for him to go other than that long ball over the top, which was a bit hit and miss in the game. So I think there's plenty to be, uh, plenty to be working on in terms of moving that ball through midfield. Um, And then the final point that I'd make is just to agree that in terms of our, uh, our wingers, um, it comes back down to that discussion that we've had quite a few times this season already. Um, we have, a, you know, a clutch of three wingers who are inconsistent in their output, in their performance from week to week. And in an ideal world, if Everton were challenging at the right end of the table, neither one of those three players would be would be starters. We'd have someone far more. Um, far more productive in the final third. So as you say, we are where we are. We're making progress. Um, and I think we should just be happy with that for now. I mean, it's why they play for Everton, isn't it? Really? Oh, yeah. You know, it, yeah. it, with, with all respect to our own football club, it, 
they, they all three of those players that you've mentioned that they're the ones that are getting the flack um from the weekend it seemed like anyway there seems to be a, a lot of um kind of um frustration uh, centering around anthony gordon for example but you know the reason he's still at everton the reason that damari gray's at everton um mcneil is maybe a different case in point because we don't we haven't seen loads of him yet but um if they were more consistent uh, and they were able to bring their a performance which is which, which for all three of them seems very very good very good in you know for each of them had bring different things to the table but if they were able to bring that a game uh two three weeks out of four rather than one two weeks out of four then they wouldn't be playing for everton really um and there's no way damari gray would be allowed to come back from germany on some strange 1.5 million pound deal you know um these are the players we have and they're here for a reason but um I listened to um, there was um, an interview I did once with uh, with the then Bristol Rovers manager, and even at that level, his comment most weeks was, "Well, you know, your wingers are hot and cold, but if you can get the other eight nine right, you know, you won't lose many games." And and it kind of reflects where we are, I think, um, that if the structure of the team around the creative players is good and better, which it clearly is, better than last season anyway, then you. They can be hot and cold. When they're hot, you'll probably win the game. When you're cold, you might not lose it. And I, th- I think that's a pretty good signpost of where we are, really. Mm-hmm. With the um, yeah, Anthony Gordon had a poor game, didn't he? I mean, it, it just goes back to for me. I, I just try trying to just keep giving the benefit of that benefit of that as much as we can. He's a homegrown player. We've got to, you know, he's young. We've got to accept that there's going to be sort of like, you know, dips in his game. And he, he, he contributed so much last season. Um, Damari Gray, I've got nothing but admiration for him though. He, that lad just keeps on trying. I'd say that much. He, he, he does give it everything, you know, um, Perhaps I do wonder if towards the end of games he's he's almost he's, he's tried so hard he's just kind of flat out and you know his decision making goes a bit wild by that by that point but he gives everything and that's all, that's all you can ask for and I think all three of them to be fair give everything I think don't they they all they, they all work and that's one thing you you don't you don't always uh, you know associate with wingers is, is work rate I suppose and certainly them three um, all do that the the glaring thing again is. Nova Charleston there as well. What an important player he's been for so many years at Everton. Um, and he'd often fill, occupy one of them positions on the wing. And maybe it's the sort of game for Charleston might have nicked as a goal in. Yeah, I mean, obviously, we're not having him, not having replaced for Charleston, really. It's, it it kind of goes back to that, doesn't it? So, um, you've been, you particularly, Linda, have been talking quite a lot. And you've had the transfer window in January and how important it is that we go and do something. And I've, I've kind of shied away and thought, nah, come on, we can get by. And, but the more games, we've only got a few more games now, but it's, it's becoming more and more apparent to me. Yeah, we probably do need to do some business there um, in, in, in the attacking areas to um, to bolster that um, if we're going to have, have any realistic chance of kicking on you know, and having a better than average season, I suppose. I think, leave it as it is, we'll probably finish about where we are now. Some sort of investment into attacking areas. There's a possibility of getting into sort of around about eighth place or something like that and creeping up that table a bit more. I think they're the they're, they're the lines, I think, and uh, yeah, let's see what, let's see what they can do do come the window. Um, it's funny what a, what a long gap we've got between uh, between now and when the window pretty much starts, isn't it? But um, yeah, we'll have to have to see what happens. And I wonder if a lot a lot of work will be done behind the scenes by all clubs during that World Cup World Cup um, World Cup campaign, I suppose, because there's plenty of time there for a change rather than it shouldn't be a case in January this time. It will be, but it shouldn't be a case in January whereas everyone's like <laughs> scurrying around last minute, but I'm sure it will be anyway. <laughs> yeah, well, it's it's never an easy window, is it? But I, I think if you're always looking to to try and seize on, on an opportunity, I mean, we know what our, um, what our goal for this season was. It was obviously just to stabilise. You know, to to, um, to to finish comfortably mid table and, and sort of bed in the newer players, particularly the younger players like like Amadou Anana. But I think that if we find ourselves sitting right on that that kind of tenth place going into the World Cup, the fact that we'll we'll have only played sort of sixteen games by the time the transfer window is practically open, I think what we have two more games after we get back. But you would hope that the scouting is is well underway. 
and the, the, the sort of the, the ducks are being put in a row for January, um, if they can get something. I think that, as you say, if we were to keep things as they are, I think we'd probably be okay. Um, it's going to make for a fairly frustrating season. Um, just knowing that if we could just add a couple of couple of pieces, and I think uh, it's someone of the profile. I think the uh, the Mohamed Kudus ship has probably sailed, given that he's now been linked with clubs in Italy, and you know there's all these talk about him. But someone of that profile who can play either attacking midfield or up front, just to add a goal threat. It's it's someone like that 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 I think needs to be needs to be added to the mix um, because we are wholly reliant on. On Alex Awobi, um, you know, thank thank God for his continuing fitness because I think if you lose him, then you you really do lose a lot of the uh, creative impetus in the side. Um, so it's someone like that, or as we've talked about before, you know, some some kind of attacking wing threat, where with a bit more consistency and a bit more goal output than we than we currently have. Um, yeah, as you say, we'll have to see what they do. Um, it's never an it's never an easy window, and I imagine that the finances will continue to be fairly tight. So I can't see us spending enormous amounts of money. But uh, you know, I, I think I've been fairly impressed with the way that uh, Kevin Thalwell has been going about his business. And you know, let's let's see what's as you say, let's see what they can what they can do. I just wish Adam was here so we could say, oh, we could sign El Ghazi. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is there, is there anybody that we don't, we don't want to have a very good World Cup? Do you think anybody on our horizon, anybody on our radar that would be at the World Cup that we desperately don't want to play too well? Otherwise, <laughs> the cat might get the bag. Or, or do you think it will be players that probably may not be involved? And we are looking at. I, I, I don't actually know what we've what we would have to throw at it either in terms of finance. I, I've got. I, I, well, who knows? I mean, I don't think the club know half the time, but uh, I. I I don't know. Would you say one? We could make one addition, one good solid forward addition that can play across the three. I don't. I don't know where we are. We might shuffle a few out. To be fair, there might be a few players we can move on to 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 bring in that cash. And we've got you know certainly at least one centre back too many, haven't we? If they're all fit, you know. So um, yeah, certainly that's one area you could you could probably lose. You know, lose one. Probably, you could probably lose one midfielder there. I think, and probably not, and probably get by. There's probably, you know, if you could shave London off the books somehow, then it's a little bit of money saved. I don't know. Just, just trying to think if you could sort of uh, move on to create a little bit of cash, make a little bit of space. That's, uh, um, and then the more you do that, the better you can bring in. I think it, you're right, Andy. I think you are. You, we are probably only talking about one serious player. You know what I mean? Who's, who, who would come? Um, the more, the more, the more room we can make, and the more, the more money we can get back, the better that opportunity, I suppose. Yeah, I'd agree. You can just get one real, real difference maker in. You know, it could could really, uh, well, make a difference. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just going back to the uh, the Fulham game, and obviously the uh, there's a couple of. Uh, refereeing decisions in there that have been uh, topics of conversation since then. You mentioned the the Mitrovic incident uh, earlier, Paul. I I, th- I might be the only person that I've <laughs> that I've come across who didn't think it was a penalty. And before people start throwing their phone across the room and or driving their car off the road, uh, <laughs> it, it's it's in the context of. I don't know. In the context of the game that I grew up with, a far more physical, where a lot challenges were, you know, these sorts of challenges were barely even made made a blip on the radar. Um, that's kind of where I'm coming from. Where um, I agree for once with uh, with is it Dermot Gallagher, the, the guy they have on uh, on Sky over there, who mm-hmm. passes comment on, on every week and just seems to. to cop out on a weekly basis. But I actually, from what he was saying about um, the fact that you know, Mitrovic was fairly close to him, um, that he didn't really have much momentum behind his challenge. The way that I saw it was that Gay had just nicked the ball away from him and Mitrovic was in the process of an action that sort of put his foot down um, on Gay's leg. And I think it looks a lot worse uh, in slow motion than it, than it did in real time. My issue with it is, 
and it's, it comes back to the conversation we seem to have on a, on a near weekly basis is the consistency or the lack thereof of these decisions. And the benchmark for us as Evertonians, of course, is the Alan decision against Newcastle. <clears throat> when you look at those two challenges, and if you think one is not a red card and one is, it, it, it makes no sense in any universe how those two are, are, are viewed differently. I mean, you, can, you would turn it on its head and say the Mitrovic one is the red card and Alan's is not. So <clears throat> that's where I come from. Um, on it, um, I think there was an there was an incident. I think when we under Benitez, when we played Arsenal at home, and I think Ben Godfrey ended up catching was it um, Tommy Yasu in the face with a stray boot. That is that I kind of compare that to the Mitrovic Mitrovic incident, and there was one where I think we were right that Godfrey got away with it in that instance. And I think if the if the boot were on our foot for the Mitrovic one. I think I wouldn't have many qualms if if we had got away with with that decision as well. Um, and the final thing I suppose I'd say about it is is that if there is this determination that if the boot is high up the shin, it's a red card like Van Dyke's should have been. I don't think the uh, the Mitrovic one was. I think it was down by the bottom of the ankle, right by the foot. So you're getting into these. Um, into these kind of hair's breadth decisions, you know, nitpicking over where where the boot lands on the leg kind of thing. But uh, that's the way that I saw it. But I imagine, Paul, you saw it differently. <laughs> yeah, I blurted out right at the start there, didn't I, about that? <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, I thought it, the more like it's one of them. I, mean, I was watching it in the pub, so I had a couple of jars, I suppose. But like the... The, I don't know, it, it just looked, the work, The more they showed it, and they showed it an awful lot, and it, 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 as you always say, uh, as things get slowed down, it looks a lot worse. It just seemed to look worse and worse to me the more I saw it, and the more I watched it. And then when I saw it, even the next morning, watching it on Match of the Day, I thought, it does look bad. And um, and yeah, you're right, we, it, it does seem like we're, we're just on like, this loop of saying, oh, complaining about consistency each week, and it's... It's the way it's it's that's the frustration with um, where I get and I remember you see that early on in the season the Van Dyke one and you thought that should probably be a red card and then like a week later I saw somebody for Tottenham chased back and chase uh, is it Martinelli at Arsenal and just like uh, more of a frustrated little sort of you know tap on the sort of side of his knee which wouldn't have caused any real pain but it was high and it was like deemed as reckless and all of a sudden that's a red card and the one the week before it isn't and now this one isn't a red card which looked a lot more dangerous and just that consistency throughout really or lack of consistency throughout which is frustrating. I'd still stand by that I thought it was a red card. The more I see it, the more it looked quite a painful blow. It probably wasn't that painful with the shin pads, etc. on, but um, it just looked quite sore, like a sore one to me and quite a late one. Um, and I guess deliberate or not, I don't know, it looked quite a sore one and Maybe if it's the other way around, I'm, you know, I'm keeping storm and going, oh, no, nah, he didn't mean it. It's all right, but it's, like, you always kind of back your team a bit, I suppose, don't you? But it wasn't more, it wasn't more of them that wasn't more of them that the more I saw, the more I thought, like, oh, actually, he, he didn't mean that. The more I saw it, the more I thought, oof, that's a sore one. That's a tough one. That's the way I saw it. But um, consistency is baffling, and it's 100 and, 101 games now since the player's been sent off against Everton. So I guess yeah. I don't think it's too, unju- too unjustified to say, yeah, with with you one here, you know. So, uh, yeah, I I I thought it should have been a bad myself. Yeah, that that much is true. We are definitely do, but the of course <laughs> the thing is that uh, that intent doesn't really come into it in the current laws of the game, and I think that's the point that many people are making is that whether he meant it or not, it was still a bad tackle. Um, which I think when you made you made the point about the shin pads, the shin pads these days like the size of postage stamps. I don't even know why they yeah, bother with true. them anymore. <laughs> that's a good point, actually. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'll take that one back. <laughs> I feel like I'm completing the circle here because I kind of agree with both of you. Um, and I'll explain why. I I do think I agree with Lyndon in that I can kind of see that in that moment that Mitrovic has tried to kind of position his body and put his foot into a challenge and as he's doing it not he's not obviously not charging in there's no there's no kind of there's no excessive force there's no kind of pace going into the tackle and as he's done that gay's leg has changed its position and therefore as he's trying to put his leg down he's ended up 
standing on Gay's leg. I get that. And yes, I think if you kind of go back to times before, then that would be seen as a as a um, a kind of unfortunate mistake, really. Like I, I, clumsy, I, 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 but unfortunate. Yeah, clumsy. Yeah, a bit clumsy, a bit like oh dear, he's clearly not. I don't think he's. I don't think he's meant to hurt Gay at all. But I think it's just happened in that moment. But then I think to myself, well, hang on a minute. We now live in a VAR world where everything is, you know, looked at to the nth degree. And if you see a tackle like that in slow motion, as an official in this day uh-huh. and age, there is no way you cannot send him off. It, because it just looks like a classic red car tackle um, in, in the VAR age. So I kind of agree with both of you, really. I, I think, I think once they've seen it, and once they've gone through it in slow motion from a couple of different angles, I, I, I can't see how that group of officials haven't at least got him to go and have a look, because um, apparently it didn't even make, meet the threshold for him to go and have a look. I didn't even know there was a threshold for him to go and have a look. <laughs> it, apparently, it didn't even meet that. So, I don't know. I don't know why between them he hasn't gone over and had a look and i think if he had he would have sent him off um that said i completely agree with you Lyndon, that i <laughs> i don't think it was like a he's not a nailed on horror tackle i get that and we always compare it with the alan one but that's a completely and utterly different thing both players yeah. are sprinting you know uh, there's there's all sorts of forces going left, right, and centre there, and both players are moving at pace. It's completely and utterly different um, as an instance. So we can't really gauge it with that. Um, I don't think the, the comparisons are, are very helpful. Yeah, but there are but there are other comparisons that are that have been helpful. And if if you see that stud going into someone else's shin, I'm sitting here shouting at the telly, going, "That should be a red card." based on what we're told about what VAR does and how it does it. Well, the the thing that I kept coming back to was the definition of a red card is it's it's serious there's two there's two definitions aren't there there's serious foul play which I don't think that was serious foul no. play as I think no, I said, I think it was clumsy um you know, I mean, Mitrovic tends to play close to the edge of the line generally, but I don't think he's a he's a malicious player in in that sense. So, was it um, serious foul play? I don't think so. So that's you're right in that, given VAR's track record and what we see on a week in week out basis, particularly for what's given for the you know the bigger teams, then you couldn't you wouldn't be surprised if that was a red card. And I think that's part of my issue is that the goalposts have moved sort of so far in that direction that um, I don't know. Maybe it's uh, as I say, maybe it's just my, uh, <laughs> my me remembering where the game used to be and and sort of trying to come to terms of where it currently uh-huh. is. Yeah, I, think, I don't think we'll ever. None of us will ever come to terms with <laughs> the way it is compared to how it used to be because it used to be so much more fun, really, didn't it? In yeah. that regard, but. I'd ask you this, Lyndon. Though, if if he'd have given, if he'd have been given given the red card, would you be here today? Going, ah, oh, we shouldn't have been sent off, or would they have been like, yeah, that was. Put, you know, what I mean, it's it, it's funny how things like decisions can sway your thoughts, if that makes sense. You know, what I mean, so like, well, I, I wonder what you think if it was. Uh, you can't answer that obviously because you don't, you don't know. But like, uh, I just wonder what you'd think if it was given as a red card. Would you be there going, ah, oh, he's unlucky, he shouldn't have been sent off? You know. I'm trying to think of an instance now, but there have been instances where I've thought that the wrong decision was made and it's benefited us. And I would like to think that I'd have the intellectual honesty to be, to, to make the same argument. <laughs> you know, I just think I, I always try to put it when it put the shoe on the other foot that if it were our player, would we want our player sent off in, in that situation? Obviously not. But would you would you feel it was justified? Um, and so if I'm looking at a challenge that's, as I say, is is clumsy, it's late, and it's as much to do with the fact that, you know, just a gay nicks the ball away from him while he's sort of in mid-action. Um, could he have pulled out of it? I don't know, because at that point, you're, you know, you, you, your weight's going forward. So I don't know. I mean, it, it's, it's fairly yeah. academic in the grand scheme of things because it wasn't a red card. Um, and I always want us to sort of, you know, beat the 
beat 11 men in front of us, uh, you know, on, on our own mm-hmm. merits. But uh, obviously, <laughs> obviously, we'll take a leg up from the officials, given that we haven't had one for, was it 101 <laughs> games, you said? I mean, it's just mad, yeah. isn't it? Oh, that might that might have been a hundred, maybe a hundred and two. Uh, yeah, anyway, over the hundred, let's say. <laughs> That's what I what I read uh, somewhere on Twitter. So yeah, um. yeah, no, I'm sure you're right. <laughs> but we we got away with one in the same game, though, didn't we? I, I well, think we, we I think we really got away with one in the same game. The, I, the penalty. Yeah, the penalty. Mm. I mean, in the same in the same breath, I'm sitting here going, "Oh dear." That this does not look good at all, and all of a sudden it just went away. It I thought, yeah, really strange. I remember I was chatting to my mate at the time. So I'd take my eyes off the telly, and he was watching it while I was talking. Same, he just goes, "Oh, it's a penalty, definitely. Oh, it's got to be a penalty." His reaction was like, "Well, they're definitely going to give us a penalty. Oh, this is going to be. Oh, it's got to be a penalty." He was like adamant the way he saw it first time. The gay was it the one with gay? Would they get like the tiniest nick on the ball? Like, uh, my, my, I got my blue tinted blue specs on myself now, I suppose. <laughs> I, I don't think he does touch the ball, but I don't think it was a penalty. And for that, I think it was the rationale that was given by uh, the expert summarizer on the international feed. I forget who it was. Maybe it was Stephen Warnock. Is that Gay's foot is planted flat, and it almost seems like William trips over it. Either purposefully, I don't think actually, I don't, I don't think it was purposeful actually, but uh, it, it wasn't sort of a, it wasn't sort of game making contact with Willian's foot. It was more like his foot was planted and Willian just kind of went over on it. Um, and I, I'm, I'm one of those people who thinks the threshold for a penalty should be fairly high. And so, by my definition, <laughs> by my assessment, it wasn't a penalty. <laughs> I just think in current climate, with the micro-analysis of everything that happens in a Premier League football match, I would say I would expect both of those decisions to be made, i.e. red card and penalty. Right. And yet and right. yet, neither of them were made. Mm-hmm. So that just shows what I know, doesn't it? But, um, well, but that, no, that, but that's as, much, that's as much a commentary on where we are with VAR, the, as you say, the forensic analysis of all these decisions, it is as much a commentary of where we've got to in terms of the, just the the um, anal retentiveness of all this stuff that we're now expecting these decisions to be made and and honestly fairly rightfully being aggrieved if they're not, given the decisions that go against us you know, at, at other times. Yeah, well... We've got a World Cup coming up with automatic offsides. I mean, look what happened to Tottenham the other night with that. So this, I think that was being trialled, wasn't it, there? So uh, the yeah. fun's not going to stop soon, mate. <laughs> Any other thoughts about the Fulham game before we move on to uh, to Leicester? Uh, our goalkeeper's made a world-class save from William. Yeah, he was terrific, uh, wasn't he? Yeah. Uh, I think um, it kind of... I think it flew under the radar a little bit, even within the game. Um the, the the turn from William is six yards out. He's hit it top third of the goal. Uh, the the touch over from Pickford. I I I actually think that's one of Pickford's best saves for Everton. I know that's saying something because he's got quite a catalogue. But um, I think it flew under the radar a little bit because it wasn't one of those sprawling saves from twenty five yards that looks great. It, but it was it was such a good save. Um, yeah. So yeah, I mean, special mention for him again. Yeah, it's a fair point. So, do you think that's because his his the standards that he's set now are so high that it's almost like it's expected? You know, Pickford doing what Pickford does. You know, it's, it's quite a compliment, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just think he had he had a couple of yards to react to that. You know, it, it, it's it's um, it was hit quite hard. It's um, yeah, it's fingertip stuff. It's um, it was a top top draw save. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's that will be my other special mention for that game, and 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 the fact that we kept a clean sheet, um, and yeah. obviously he was a big help in that. But so were the back four, and nice to see Patterson back. There was one touch. Did you see the touch on the near touchline? Well, it had to be the near touchline because he was only on in that part of the game. But it, 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 he kind of it came over his shoulder. It looked like it was going out on our right, our right back touchline, and he's kind of touched it inside to himself. Um, 
I'm not describing it very well, but he's basically taken a ball out of the sky <laughs> that looked like it was going out and put it into his own path. It, uh, unbelievable touch. Again, not much was made of that, but I don't know whether that was kind of something else happened and they went on to something else. But um, nice to see him back, and I think um, I think he'll he'll hopefully make another big difference for us in the next three games. Hmm. Sorry, Paul, you were going to say something about Pickford. Yeah, just um, yeah, I totally agree. It was an outstanding save, and you think about oh, that was one of the best saves he's made for Everton. I think pretty much maybe five, it's maybe top five Everton best Everton saves have probably all come this year. <laughs> probably like I mean, or certainly some of the best ones. He's been in incredible form. He really has gone. If, if you think like, how low, how low he was, and um, I think a lot of the stuff um, he was on, not in great form anyway. But a lot of the stuff that happened to him following the Merseyside derby at Goodison Park when he collided with Van Dijk and uh, Virgil got that mm-hmm. really bad injury, um, and everything that carried on after that was so unfair, the death threats, everything, the media scrutiny. It was very tough for him. And Carlo Ancelotti did a really, really good job of taking them out of the team and getting Robin Olsen in to take the pressure off him a little bit. And I think you saw a sports psychologist and all that. And if you think it's not that long a period from how low he was there and the mistakes he was making. And I think most of us, a lot of us, if we're honest, were saying, we need to be replacing him. You know what I mean? I certainly was thinking that he's just costing us too many goals. We need to, you know, we yeah. need to move him on. We need to do something. To where he is now, nothing but admiration for for how he's performed. And now he's been captain of the captain of the club a few times now as well. And nothing but admiration. So um yeah, go on, good on Jordan. And uh yeah, he might be captain on Saturday, I suppose, if uh if uh, Patterson gets himself back into the team. Um yeah. I think there's a pretty good chance Patterson will play. I'd like to see Patterson start on uh, on Saturday. Um, not the Coleman. I think we all know Coleman's. Um, there were some doubts about Coleman, wasn't there before? Not for Muslot, I don't think. But out there, there was a lot before we before he came back to replace Patterson, and he's um, he's answered them critics with some, hasn't he? He's been been brilliant, Coleman, and great to know he's he's dependable. As if there was any real doubt, I suppose. But um, yeah, I'd like like to see Patterson get a game and get a start and give. Um, Give the give uh, give Leicester a bit more to think about, maybe from a you know from from a defensive point of view from for them. So yeah, be interested to see if he starts the game. I hope he does. Yeah, hundred percent. Just uh, two other players I don't think were deserving of mention at Fulham. Um, James uh, Tarkovsky, who I think is now got something. I was listening to another one of the podcasts saying he's got twice as many blocks now as any other player in the Premier League. Which you know, when you think about, it, doesn't isn't really surprising given, you know, what, what, <laughs> the stuff that he's been doing for us. Um, he's been great, and uh, Vitali Mikolenko, I thought was the probably the pick of the bunch uh, at Fulham. Uh, he's just uh, for the defensive side of his game, I think he's he's absolutely got it locked in now. Um, after a, you know taking a while to to get used to to England and the Premier League, um, so yeah, I think he. He, Tarkovsky, and Pickford were uh, probably the reason why we came away with a point from Craven Cottage. So, just wanted to mention those three particular performances. I think certainly Tarkovsky. Um, he, yeah, he, he's really given himself a shot of uh, a chance to get to the World Cup, isn't he? I think he, he, he might just get on the plane. Um, Mikalenko, yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I thought he was probably man, certainly from from an Everton point of view, man of the match. Mikalenko thought he had a, had a really terrific game, and uh, yeah, good to see. Um, yeah. Vinagra, wonder what he'll do if we ever see him play. I'm still keen to see how he gets on, If, it, if you know, just to give him a bit of time here and there. I'm not saying at Fulham, just like to see him and see if it's a chance to sort of give him some minutes sometime, but I assume Frank isn't really fancying him. But anyway, I'm changing the subject a bit there. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I suspect he might get a look in maybe in the cup tie at Bournemouth, perhaps. Um, because he, he's the kind of player that you'd like to sort of bring on, you know, if we're two, three goals up, which I suppose Crystal Palace is really the only opportunity that he would have had to do that. Um, and he obviously gave gave other players an opportunity. But uh, it, yeah, it's it's tough to see how he displaces uh, Mikolenko on current form. Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think Tarkovsky is my favourite Everton player at the moment. Yeah, they're great and, again. And there are a few to choose from, to be fair. You know, I like Onana. Um, you know, but I, 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 I think Tarkovsky... I, yeah, just um, just just everything you want in a centre half, isn't he? Really, um, and and a bit more, um, uh, because he can play. You know, he, he can play with the ball, and but yeah, I just I I I just I just um, 
I think he's excellent. Yeah, it's good to have those. The, what I love about him is just how much he enjoys it. He just seems to be having the time. <laughs> like he enjoys getting stuck in. You know, he enjoys uh, just enjoys the all the, the the combat of it. I think that's great. Uh, you mentioned um, Onana there. Um, and it's sort of worthwhile discussing him a bit in, in the context of uh, the Leicester game and, and, and any changes that Lampard might make. I don't particularly think that he will, but there has been, there seems to be a, a sort of a conversation around Onana um, increasingly about, you know, his his form and is he is he doing everything that he he can or should in midfield? I actually think he is. I don't have any problem with him whatsoever, but I, um, I just wonder what, what you thought, given that I've seen a few sort of murmurings about, um, you know, could, could he be dropped in favor of someone like Decore or James Garner? I don't think he will be dropped. I mean, that's the, that's the, Frank seems to have a lot of faith in these midfield three. Um, I don't think he should be either. I think he's, we got to get, you know, you got to get let young players progress. You got to let them make mistakes. You got to let them learn. Um, he's new to the league. He's, it, you know, was everyone expecting it to be perfect? Really, straight off, um, I certainly wasn't. You know, um, looks a very good player. Um, there's times where he goes out of the game, but he seems to bring himself back into it well. There's times when the game passes him by, he looks a bit lost, but he seems to refocus well and get back into it quite a lot. That happens in most games at some point, and you got to let him do that and learn. The one thing I'd like to see him pack in is just um, you'll, you'll get like a, I don't know, a nudge on the face or something like that when there's nothing wrong with him. He'll go down in a heap and lie down in a heap for a long time. It's, it's, it's nearly mm-hmm. cost us a few times because we've been under the pump as we've done that and play hasn't stopped. You know what I mean? And then you see when you see the replay that, you're like, oh, come on, there's nothing there. I'd like him to stamp that out of the game because that, that, that's, that's going to cost us one day. And it's a bit surprised that hasn't already. Um, but other than that, no, nah, no complaints. We just got to let him, let him keep going, and um, let him keep learning, and uh, it's, do that. And uh, at some point, you'll have a really, really top draw player. I'm convinced by that. So just let him learn, be patient. And I think that, let's be honest. If ever there's a season when you can accommodate a player to be patient, it's probably a season like this when you know expectation isn't that high. Really, you know, what I mean, whether realistically likely to finish isn't that high. It's not going to be that low either. We're just going to, you know, it's a good opportunity this season to let him bed in and let him learn, learn the league. Mm, that sound might sound a bit negative, but um, just let him play, let him learn, and let him grow. And uh, the more you do that, the good player you'll get. And he yeah. seems a good lad, doesn't he? He seems to love it. You know, he seems to love being at Everton and uh, saying a lot of good things, making a lot of good noises. Get behind him, let him learn. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I remember saying at the beginning of the season, especially with him and also with Patterson, that I just hope Lampard actually just plays them and lets them make mistakes and they'll be better players for it. Um, And I think he is the definite example of that, that these young players need games and they need to, to work out the league um, and like Paul just said, really, I've got no problem with his performances at all. I, I think he's been, on occasion, our standout player, but I don't think he's ever been our worst player. Um, and I think um, I think he should remain in the side. I mean, there's that's the, the kind of him personally. I do wonder still whether our midfield has the right balance. Um and I don't really know how to solve it, but I, I wonder people saying that James Garner should probably more could come into the side. I'm not sure bringing him him yeah. in for Onana would create a better balance and a better blend. I mean, we've Awobi has to stay in the side for what he offers on the ball. You'd think where we've come from and where we are in our kind of journey at the moment that a defensive-minded player like. Garner Gay has to stay in the team, really. Um, whether putting Garner, James Garner in for Onana would create a better blend, I'm not so sure. And also, I mean, re- regardless of how he's actually playing with the ball, off the ball, I think he's a really, really useful asset for us. And um, I think we saw in the Palace game when he played a little bit deeper, Um what how you know what what you can give us from the middle? So, um, yeah, I I don't see him coming out of the side, and I to be honest, I wouldn't want him to. Um, 
but I, un- I understand the the kind of the, the conversation at least around is that still the best midfield blend we can get? Probably not, but at the moment, I think it's pretty much the best we can do. Yeah, I, th- I agree complete with Paul when he said that this is the season to just allow him to bed in and learn the league, um, learn his surroundings. I think he'll be a much better player for it, which is exactly what Paul said. Um, and I think that what, if we can solve some of the the wing issues that we've been talking about, um, some of those forward line issues, I think the midfield as a whole, and that includes um, Onana, obviously, um, some of those issues might, it might improve because um, we're still having plenty of problems moving the ball from our back four up to the forward line. Um, and as I said in the Fulham game, there's so many times where the, the team just stopped and couldn't really move the ball forward in the way that they'd had done against Crystal Palace. And obviously away from home, you're going to have that, that issue a lot more anyway. Um, but I'm, I'm completely comfortable with um, keeping Onana in there. And I think that Lampard's handling it well by bringing in James Garner uh, off the bench um, and using Decore as and when um, to kind of supplement um, and, and help help bring Onana on um, because I think that he is obviously the, you know, the future of, of that midfield. Yeah, I think they're the best few to go with at the moment, aren't well, for the probably for most of the season, really. Um, yeah, um, no problems with them at all. I mean, I, I guess there's plenty of comparisons potentially with uh, Malouan Fellaini, if you look at that. And remember, he needed time, he needed games. He needed about half a season, probably, if I recall, maybe even a full season, really, to be like to, uh, to 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 be fully up to speed. And then, what a player we had after that for quite a few years, you know. And um, I'm confident we'll get quite similar impact, perhaps, with uh, with uh, Onana. And uh, again, the only way to learn is with games. You got to let players make mistakes, let them learn. So, um, yeah, let's uh, get behind them, as we say. And uh, yeah, let's see, let's see, uh, let's give them the time and the space and the opportunities to, to see what he can do. Yeah, and he's still he's still so young and he's only still made the 10 league starts uh, to go with the 11 that he'd made in the French League. So this he's still very, very early in his development. Um, and and, and you know, the fact that he is embedded in so well as quickly as he has, I think, is the story uh, about Onana rather than any sort of discussions about whether he should be... Uh, whether he should be sort of rotated out, um, you know, I, I've, you know, I, I like him. I like him a lot. Uh, in terms of uh, the Leicester game, uh, do we envision any any changes apart from Nathan Patterson coming in? I think we all both uh, we're all both expecting that and hoping that he will will start. Um, obviously, the, the discussion that we've been having around the wingers. Uh, I think that the discussion around uh, Anthony Gordon might devolve into one where he is a far better player at Goodison than he is away from home. Um, and that's a, a conundrum that I think Frank Lampard is going to have to have to solve over the course of the season. Um, but I fully expect him to to keep his place and, and Damari Gray as well. Uh, how, how do you see it going? I don't see many changes to that. Yeah, I think you're probably right. I think Nathan Patterson... <laughs> I think he, I'd like to think he'll get a game, uh, start the game. Um, no slight on on the way Sheamus has performed, um, but yeah, I think just a bit more of an attacking threat, a bit more give give, give Leicester City much, a bit more to think about. Um, you know, from from a defensive point of view, from there, from there, and yeah, he's probably right. Anthony Gordon's better performances tend to come at Goodison Park, I suppose, and um, the way he performs, the energy he brings, can get the crowd up. A little bit, and yeah, that's I'd probably expect them to, to stay in the game. Dwight McNeil might have a, a thing or two to say about that. I guess he's but he must be itching for an opportunity or more opportunities. He's you know, when he's come in the last few games, he's done pretty well, he scored a couple of goals. Um, so he might, yeah, he might be sitting, you know, might be getting a little bit frustrated by lack of opportunities, but I suppose it's a Bournemouth game quickly following that in the cup and maybe there'd be some more opportunities for these players in that one instead. But um, yeah, you expect, expect Frank will go with, go with what he's, well, if anything's to go by this season, he'll stick with what he's got because that's what he's tended to do pretty much throughout the season, isn't it? So um, I think he's got good faith in there uh, in mm. what he's got there. And I think that's fair enough. So um, yeah, I think he'll go with that. I suppose we've got to look at 
what kind of game we could be in against Leicester. Um, they like the ball. They are high energy. Um, I think it probably plays into Gray and Gordon's games, really. Um, maybe a little bit more than O'Neill on this particular night. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 I can't see him making a change um, either in shape or in personnel, apart from maybe Patterson. Um, and I suppose with Bournemouth in the cup coming up directly afterwards, that could be the game that he decides maybe um, McNeil starts or um, there's a change in midfield. Maybe James Garner comes in or maybe Mopé is back in some way or even Vinagra or maybe even one of the centre-halves we haven't seen for a while. I know Holgate's fit, I think. So maybe that one might be the day, but um, I can't see him changing it for Leicester. How do you guys see the game going against Leicester? I think uh, I think it'd be tough. They've uh, for the team in the bottom three. They seem to have picked up a little bit Leicester. They lost at the weekend to Man City, but they seem a bit more comfortable, don't they? Than they were. You kind of wish we'd played them half a dozen games ago, and they looked a bit all over the place. You know, they seem a bit more settled now. I think it'll be a tough game. They look a bit more yeah. like the old Leicester to me. Yeah, I mean, you see, they've gone through that rough spell and seems to be getting coming out the other side of it. Okay, I think it'd be tough. I kind of got a feeling it might be might even be a draw this one. I wouldn't be too surprised. Um, uh, draw this and beat Bournemouth for, I don't know, four points out of them two, whichever way they come. Uh, and I hope I'm not being too greedy asking for some Calabayo Cup progress. Um, that would be all right with me. Um, whichever way them four points come, I'd, I'd take them either way. I think it, I almost think Leicester at home somehow will be a tougher game than Bournemouth away, just the way Bournemouth are right now and where Leicester are right now. I think it's going to be um, both both different challenges. So, um, yeah, I'd take a draw. If it meant winning at Bournemouth, if that makes sense. Yeah, Rogers looked like a bit of a dead man walking a few weeks ago, and he does seem to be turning it around. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a difficult game, and I, I too, four points from the next, for the next two games, however they come, and progress in the cup that would do me. Would you take two points in progress? <laughs> uh, I can see it. No, I can see two. I can see two more draws. Oh, yeah, God. no, I don't think I would. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah, it's it's an interesting one. I, 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 the priority's got to be the Premier League, doesn't it? Really, but uh, is, is that is that is that this week's question? Would you take two, <laughs> just take two points of progress? <laughs> well, progress. It's a tough one. That thing. It is because progress <laughs> so on, progress then. in the cup obviously means one step closer to a potential route into Europe. Uh, maybe the most likely route into Europe, depending on what happens, uh, obviously, in the league. And uh, that that moves us on to what is this week's question. Uh, this week marked five years since Everton were uh, last knocked out uh, of European competition. And um, so unless this season turns out much more positively than we dared dream a few months back, it'll be another year before we play in European competition again. So the question this week is to ponder what is your most memorable game or moment involving Everton in Europe, uh, which could be um, your most or least favorite match, a goal uh, or an incident. Uh, for me, because I started following the Blues uh, at the start of the Heisel ban, I w- and I was a penniless student in the mid-90s with our, our last uh, dalliance with the UEFA Cup. And I'd moved away by the time uh, we were regularly in Europe under Moyes. I don't have uh, many European games to draw upon from those that I attended. Uh, so I think that the home win over Wolfsburg when we destroyed the German team and uh, Kevin De Bruyne and all, I would be my favorite of the ones I've actually been to. But um, I mean, I just, I do miss in general, just being in Europe uh, and the heart does uh, hurt a little seeing other English teams competing in those competitions, particularly the Champions League. Uh, unfortunately, that dream feels uh, quite far away at the moment. I think for me, um, it was actually a, a defeat, but that was a minor detail, really. I, I was lucky enough to get to the Villarreal Champions League qualifier at Goodison, um, which I remember, I mean, it was Goodison under the lights in an important game, so you had that atmosphere. But I just remember because it was in Europe and it because it was potentially a in the Champions League or getting into the Champions League proper, mm. it just felt different. It felt 
just a different atmosphere from quite early on. I, I we didn't get there that early, uh, that late at all. It was we were relatively early into the ground and we were in the the paddock, uh, quite near the pitch. And so there's only what kind of one one flight of stairs up in like off off the road up into the stand. And I just remember walking up those steps, and you just felt something that I, well, I probably hadn't had I felt it before. I don't know, but it was it was. It was, I would say, unique in in the games I've been to. Uh, I took my mate that night, who was not an Everton fan, but he's got a soft spot for Everton. He's one of my best mates, and he's been to Goodison a few times. And he always says that is one of the best atmospheres, if not the best atmosphere he's ever had, he's ever experienced at a club ground. Um, there was just something about that night, and you heard the, the Champions League anthem, and it was all very, oh, it was magic. Um, but the result wasn't. <laughs> but but I remember it. I think I remember it being Phil Neville's debut, um, that game. And I remember he had a good game. I remember he crossed it in from the right-hand side for our goal, I believe. But one of the other bits that, that really stands out, um, that after all the kind of the build-up to kick-off and the, the atmosphere, there was a, the slight lull about 15 minutes into the game where we all realised that Villarreal were really good. Um, and they were passing the ball around with kind of abandon just in their own half. And then they took two or three quick passes and all of a sudden they were in our third. And everyone around me just kind of fell silent. And when someone three rows back just went, dearie, dearie me. And I will always remember that. And whenever anything bad happens with Everton now and I'm with the same mate, um, we always look at each other and go, dearie, dearie me. Because it, it is, it just summed it up beautifully. Um, and I know he didn't win, but I think that will stand out as probably, well, it will now for sure be one of my greatest Goodison nights just to have been there and seen that. And I know we didn't win and I know what happened in the second leg, but um, um, I did make it to another Europa League group game at one point, um, which we won. Um, but that, that was just something a bit special for me, that one. It was a good performance, that wasn't it? Yeah. That, um same shame he didn't go through are we we know we're never happen in the second leg don't we but the uh yeah it was a really good uh really great night that one to think about actually despite the result it was yeah it was um yeah shame that didn't work out uh mine will both be away once uh, i've got a cup just to one well actually because we said it was the last um the, the last time we were in europe and I, i'm glad you corrected that andy because i remember uh it, i remember it being in december the trip to uh to to nicosia to play limassol away and um it was a complete dead rubber so much if you look at the team that actually that actually played that day it's, it's it, there's a lot of players you, you would you have never played since literally i think anthony gordon came off the bench um yeah i think probably the only one um i was the lad who's on loan somewhere at the moment um what's his name i've got it here somewhere off the bench Broadhead, Nathan Broadhead, he's I think still on our books, but other than that, nobody, none of the others are still there. Um, but it was a great, considering it was such a dead rubber, um, it was just amazing. It's like to see to, to go down win. and you felt like Everton had been so crap in the uh, Europa League. It felt like they were giving something back a little bit by going there and winning, and it was a great, as ever with Evertonians, just a great turnout from Evertonians for a game which absolutely did not matter to anybody really. And um, we messed up because we thought we didn't realise the flight. We were playing Limassol and we didn't realise the uh, the game was actually in Nicosia until maybe a few days before. <laughs> so we'd actually book accommodation everything in Limassol and then had to sort of backtrack and get the get that cancelled and refunded and book a and book a, a transfer all the way from Lim, uh, Limassol to Nicosia. Great trip, really good fun. But the um, I can't I can't go past the that, that infamous trip to Nuremberg when um mm-hmm. if I the whole Maybe you're gonna uh, say that one. <laughs> yeah, I had to. <laughs> the uh, the uh, yeah. the whole of um it was the first first uh was it the, was it even the first game back in Europe? It was certainly one which everyone decided to flock to, uh if it was the first game back in Europe for a long time. Um and yeah, everyone just we, I remember we looked at it, we, me and my mate were just like uh he was at work and I was at work, just like agent over the emails and looking at the drawer on the computer as well. We were supposed to be working and like Nuremberg, okay, we'll do that. All right, when we get home later, we'll go and have a look online. Not really completely underestimating how keen Evertonians were to go. We looked at a quick flight, yeah, we'll get that, we'll book it later. Came over, obviously that flight had the price had scaled through the roof ridiculously, like and we, we end up flying to Prague. And spending night there, then getting the train to Prague the next day, um, full of Evertonians. The whole train, absolutely chocker full of Evertonians. I remember getting to the um, getting to the station in the morning after a very boozy, boozy night with 
absinthe of all horrible drinks to be drinking on a night before you had to add some sort of seven, six o'clock, seven a.m. train the next day. And Steve and Gaz had slept in. They they stayed in a different hotel to us for some reason. They 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 didn't get up in time. They missed their the train. Me and Richie was somehow made it. They managed to get a later one those two. But and we got to the, we asked them like broken you know like embarrassing broken pigeon English like uh, two tickets to Nuremberg please and the um. So he gave me something like these two tickets said Cheb, which I would know was just on the on the border between Czech Republic and uh, and Eastern Germany. Um, and she explained something to us. We were just yeah, I don't know. We didn't know what she was saying. We were just nodding and yeah, okay. And we were just far too sort of hungover, whatever, to sort of pay any attention. And uh, as we came along with these tickets, they, they didn't say Nuremberg on. They just said Cheb, and we just we just tried carried on. And I think every conductor we went through on this long journey. I think it's like maybe six six hours or so on the train. Would say something about these tickets, and eventually, what we had to do was get off at Chep and then get on to the next. So that's when we tricked. Ah, okay, our tickets are really valid to Chep. We're going to have to get new tickets. So we did, and we just oh, we're just going to jump on. But there's plenty of guys on the train who haven't got tickets at all, and we just walked on right through to this section, which was quite nicely seated. And okay, we realised it was the first class section, but we figured again, there's all these other Evertonians there. I bet none of these have got first class. Then the, the ticket conductor comes in. He's like, ask the first person, can I got you um, a ticket? He's like, he shows him a ticket. He goes, this is a second class ticket and you are the first class. So I was like, he kicks him out and then he kicks the next guy out and then he just kicks like, and he comes to us and we're like, oh, no. Give him this ticket. He's like, he looked at it, and it, bear in mind, this ticket didn't even say Nuremberg, let alone a first class ticket to Nuremberg. And he looks at this and goes, uh, in anger, what is this? <laughs> we're like, uh, Cheva's gone. Cheva's finished. I was like, okay, can we have two tickets from from here to to Nuremberg? He's like, first class or second class? We're like, second class. He's like, get out! Of <laughs> oh no, my God. So he said, it's always the wait outside. But then he kicked the whole train out, and it was just a, one of many funny stories on the whole trip. They'll obviously to go down and win. It was just the whole of Merseyside or Everton, some every corner of the world. It felt like, you know, descending on Nuremberg and. Yeah, I don't think I've ever been, I'd say I've been to a, a better European trip since. <laughs> many, many, many a time dictated by results, but nothing has ever been top the trip trip like that. And uh, yeah, if I ever have a better one, then I'll be very happy because it'll probably mean we'll have uh, done something very, very special in Europe, I imagine. So uh, I'll wait for with bated breath for that day. <laughs> it is strange how, like Everton in Europe, kind of travels and i don't mean actually like literally traveling for the game or whatever but i i was um when i was 21 my parents said to me like what do you want for your birthday i didn't really want anything so he said well do you want to go away anywhere do you, anywhere particularly you want to maybe pop out for a, a day or two um and, and their faces when i said yeah i want to go to Reykjavik um was quite something and they um, it was only because we played them in the cup winners cup um, in 1996, it must have been. And I remember that kind of being, well, like another world, um, like Reykjavik. Um, and funnily enough, when we went, there wasn't a game on, unfortunately, to watch, but um, we went to the ground and on the outside of the ground, there are still, there's still a bit of Everton graffiti. Um, you know, EFC were here or Everton were here or something like that. I remember thinking, oh, that, that's my little connection that is. That's fantastic. Um, and I think the links from that game kind of, you know, again, the the kind of ripples of of, of Everton in Europe. I, I I interviewed a Bristol City player once who was Icelandic, and I was talking to him about all sorts of things. Um, and uh, right at the end of the conversation, um, he said, "Oh, who do you support, by the way?" And I had to whisper it because we were at Bristol City Football Club. But um, I said, "Oh, I, I support Everton." He said, "Oh, so do I." I was thinking, what? How does an Icelander support Everton? And he said, well, "It's because they played there in in, in, in Reykjavik, and there was kind of a." a, a swell of interest in in Everton. So I think imagine all those little ripples around Europe. Um it's amazing really. And what, what Paul was saying about being proud of how Everton kind of are and how we travel and whatever else. And I just imagine that kind of you know, imagine what it could be and five years without it. I mean and if you think of some of the teams English teams that have been in Europe in now it's five years, you think, oh wow. You know, um so yeah. Let's get it back as soon as we can, please. Absolutely. Well, I mean, running the website and getting all the stories from all those European trips and compiling them. I mean, it's almost it's almost like living vicariously through 
you know, all of you who, who went to these aways, these European aways, um, and just, yeah, I mean, and some of the, some of the memories around the places that we have traveled in the, in the last few, in those, in those years are quite poignant now. Um, I recall people's stories traveling to, um, Ukraine, the hospitality they experienced from the locals in Kharkiv and, and to think that that city has now been laid waste, you know, by the Russians is pretty sad. And, and then you've got Evertonian's accounts of being welcomed by Russians in Krasnodar and, you know, whether they want to be or not, they're now on the other side of that conflict with Ukraine, um, as is Belarus, which, you know, is another far flung European country that uh, we visited um, as a team you know, to play Bate Borisov. So uh, yeah, those European those European ways, they'll, they'll live long in the memory, even if you don't actually travel to them. Um, and so it's just sad that we're currently being deprived of them right now. Yeah, well, we've, we've said before, haven't we? That's, you know, unless we, yeah, unless we qualify for Europe this season, there's not going to be another Goodison night, you know, European night at Goodison Park, you know, and that's the, the cold truth, isn't it? You know, let alone, a, you know, on these um, magical away trips somewhere, you know? So, um, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, maybe maybe we should be giving it everything for that Calabao Cup, actually. <laughs> I'll have Bournemouth next week, and uh, so here we go. I mean, obviously, sentiment isn't really what it's for, um, as far as the players, not and Frank's concerned, I'm sure. But um, yeah, it's be sad. It's sad to think that there won't there, there won't be another another European night at Goodison Park, but uh, that's the likelihood, unfortunately. Well, to make sure that the first the first season of Bramley Moor Dock there is. Yeah, there is going to be European yeah. football. <laughs> All right. Well, that's us for another week. We'll be back with you next week. In the meantime, if you haven't already filled out the survey that's running on toffeeweb.com, it'd be really helpful if you could if you could do that. It'll only take a few minutes, but it's invaluable uh, in helping me know what you, the reader, the listener, the site member, think of the site and uh, what ideas you have about how we can make it better. Uh, so until next week, uh, we hope the rest of your week is sound and that the Toffees can do the business again at Goodison on the Saturday. Come on, you blues. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.